Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week me and Miss Boo pick out a movie, talk about how it impacts not only us, but the film audience at large. And this week, we're talking about... The Godfather. Yeah. Which is celebrating its 50th anniversary as of this recording today. Exactly. And, and also, if you didn't notice, we changed the intro again for like the fourth time this this year it, it's not my doing it's dean's doing he's <laughs> constantly changing the intro but we're talking it's like my about, favorite thing i know it is but we're talking about the godfather today and it is also the last installment of mob movie march it is we've talked about uh some of your favorite mo- uh, mob movies or gangster flicks and some of the best ones and this is the one that it's all led up to this is the crown jewel this is my favorite of the mob movies it's also arguably the most important one, the best one. All one of the best movies ever made. Yes, all mobster movies, crime movies before this lead up to it, and all after it try and recapture success. And the only one that ever could was The Godfather Part 2. It's true, it's true. But we get to talk about Godfather Part 1, Francis Ford Coppola's masterpiece based on Mario Puzo's novel. Where do you want to get started? Well, have you read the novel? Yeah, I've read the novel. It is. Okay. Every single person who says the book's always better than the movie. No, it's not. The Godfather book. I ain't gonna, you know, besmirch uh, the legacy of Mario Puzo, but that book is not good. Hmm. It's like, okay to like, kind of bad. But the movie is a master. It's a masterpiece. It really is. And... It's the thing where if you read the the novel, have you ever read it or given it a shot? Haven't. And I would like to give it a read because this movie is fantastic and I'd like to see where some of the story came from. Yeah. um, If you really want to see that, then The Godfather Notebook is probably more up your alley. Because that's Coppola taking the novel and beat by beat breaking it down and kind of picking and choosing what to incorporate. Because for those who don't know, there's about a fourth to like a whole half of the book dedicated to uh, a woman's like surgery to hmm. some private parts of her body okay and that's like half the fucking book All it's right. really weird really weird it does and, and there's uh, whole sections dedicated to to sunny's anatomy if you catch my drift uh, i, yeah, I see where we're going here <laughs> it's, it's a pretty weird weird book but since you mentioned Coppola, yes. if you guys haven't been on our Instagram, you might not have known that we actually got to do something special for the 50th anniversary. Yes, we did. And it was not only a brand, the brand new 4K restoration with the Dolby sound. Which was beautiful. At the Academy Museum. It also was preceded by a Q&A by Francis Ford Coppola himself. And Talia Shire. Yes, who plays... Michael's sister. Yeah, she gets she's, married. Yeah, no, no, she's, <laughs> she's a, like an instrumental part of the of the movie, but no one remembers her name. No, um, I think her name's Constance, right? No, no, I don't think it's Constance. It's um her. It's Connie. Connie. Her, yeah, because she's marrying Carlo, Connie, Carlo. That God damn it, it's all C names. But yeah, so she plays Connie, and it was it was really cool because we got to see Francis Ford Coppola basically just ramble for like an hour just about the making of the godfather it was super cool i mean not only see him but i mean we were front row oh yeah i sat like 10 feet away from the guy and it was just astounding to be sitting there with a legend like 10 feet away from us and he's just you know regaling the past and you know you watch like behind the scenes stuff about movies and you hear people talk and you know uh 
what is it on DVDs when they do like the the uh, commentary the commentary track, but to hear his own stories with him right there and talk about you know what was the most like influential thing that he remembers from making the movie and you think maybe like the first day on the set or one of the huge scenes of the movies and it was getting the cast to assemble for the first time over dinner and watching everyone interact and kind of become a family with each other after that it was so fascinating just to hear the man himself kind of break down how the movie got put together and and how he approached it i mean don't get me wrong i love seeing the movie i love this movie but I could have sat there for three hours just listening to him talk. Oh, yeah. It's it was like, fascinating. It's like we could have watched the movie at home, let him talk and tell stories of the past. I would have been totally happy with that. Oh, absolutely. But the movie itself, because we saw it at the Academy Museum and it was a beautiful restoration. Yeah. And granted, sitting in the front row was kind of hard looking up at the screen and hurt my neck after a while. It was. I mean, but, it, it was a little painful, but being able to be that close to him and to Talia Shire was just amazing. I mean, I think one of the biggest parts of that night for me, apart from the Q&A, was just walking into that massive theater and you have the beautiful score playing from the movie. Oh yeah, the score is so good. But the other thing is, you know, even though Crane Neck and all that, it was so engaging. When was the last time you saw The Godfather? Because uh, for me, I, last time I seen it was probably like 10 years ago. Maybe, maybe, maybe less, but that's that's well, no, probably pretty good. We saw it five years ago together for the forty fifth anniversary. That's right, yeah, at the that fathom thing they did at the AMC. And uh, he kind of made a point before he left the stage that the movie had been cleaned up and restored. So when we saw it for the forty fifth, it was super dark. Yeah, and... it was. Um, well, that was the biggest problem with The Godfather for so long yeah. was it was one of these movies they thought it's a gangster flick. It's gonna be okay or it's gonna bomb they didn't think it was gonna be a massive hit so they released it and then it became this massive thing so they started doing like double triple 15th duplicates of all the negatives and it destroyed the original negative yeah so seeing it this time it was like wow we can actually see everything and even in the scenes where it's dark you can still make out what's happening not like before where i was just kind of like oh the grand process is so much better in this yeah you know, highly recommend anybody out there to to go out and get the new 50th anniversary version of The Godfather. It's a whole different movie. Yeah, get it or go to a, a screening because AMC is screening the movie for a limited time. But yeah, I, I think the last time I saw this was maybe a couple of years ago. And it, it's been a minute for you too? Yeah, it's been a minute. You know, I remember certain things and then there was stuff in the movie. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that <laughs> happened. That was funny. Or I like this part. Or just, you know, Don Corleone, you know, a face that he makes. I was like, oh yeah, that that's a good bit. That's the thing about this about this movie, right? Because this is probably in the zeitgeist, right? Like, yeah. people know this movie. And even if you haven't seen it in a long time, you could probably sum up the plot from just, like, pop culture. Yeah. And this is a big thing that I think we talk about kind of a lot. Like, that Scarface, you can kind of put piece the movie together mm-hmm. through pop culture references. And Same then, with Goodfellas. And then we were like, oh yeah, I forgot, you know, Push It to the Limit happened. Yes, and, and Scarface, that was, oh, that was great. And, and this one was kind of even the same thing, because, now, I remember the big scenes of the movie, but I forgot how long the Italian sequence was, where Michael's yeah. in Italy. I forgot how much I loved that sequence of just... Him and the two men, you know, walking through the countryside and how peaceful it is. How pretty it how is. How pretty it is. It's like, that was something that I completely forgotten. And once we were watching it, I was like, 
oh yeah, I forgot he goes to Italy and he marries and yeah, this there's nothing wrong with this movie. It's just it's beautiful. <laughs> there's really there's really not. There really isn't. Uh, out of all the films we've watched this this month, I would say that no other movie is this perfect. Maybe maybe Once Upon a Time in America. Maybe because I I really dug that movie, but this movie I still hold the Godfather is the, is the better film just because I feel it it moves a lot a lot better than, than Once Upon a Time in America. That and that's why I saved it for last because this is my favorite of the genre, and it's no wonder that's beloved by so many people. And you, you know what? Let's let's get into that because. The whole thing of the podcast now is, you know, what the movies mean to us and what they mean to the world. And also, these movies still hold up. This movie definitely holds up, Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. But I want to know, why this movie affects you so much? Why do you like this movie so much? I don't know. It just, it kind of speaks to me. It's it's beautiful in its own way, even though the nature of this film is very violent. Mm. It's just, there's something special about it. And that's what I love about Hollywood. There's so many movies but there's just like those few movies for each person that just kind of touch you and you're not sure why. But this, this is a movie you you know you love it, but it's kind of in that weird can't articulate it phase. Yeah, it is. And being able to see it on the big screen restored was just like watching it for the first time. Even though I can expect, you know, certain things, but it's just like, wow, this is spectacular to see it. Oh yeah, it's a spectacular movie. Watching it this time... Honestly, it's it's a movie I continually forget how how good it is and how much I I love this movie because you know it's a movie I've probably seen maybe like three four times in my entire life mm-hmm. and I ain't gonna lie the first two times were kind of like I phoned it in because I was like thirteen or some shit yeah but watching it now I'm like yeah this is actually probably a perfect movie and not just like. Perfect, like how Silence of the Lambs is perfect, right? The, mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing objectively wrong with that movie, no. but you can't really chew on it for too long, or else it kind of loses the flavor. This movie, I feel like you can chew on it for hours. Oh, yeah. You can, like, think and meditate on it. There's so much that you can analyze, and all the themes and the messaging involved that you can really dig on. I mean, the, the whole thing with, like, family and power, and, and like, you, the corruption of it. I mean, you could even chew on the making of this movie, where... You know, if you watch things about it or read about it, how much Paramount gave um, Francis Ford Coppola such a hard time. And they were like, you don't need to make this movie. And it's like, that'd be like someone saying, you don't need to make Citizen Kane. And it's like... Well, here, here's the craziest part, is because Coppola didn't even want to make this movie. He got, he basically made it because he's like, I need to make, I need to make rent money. Yeah, I, I need to make money. And he made a point of that during the Q&A. He was like... You know, I had two kids and I had another one on the way or he had just, he was, he had well, okay. his, he had here's, his daughter during the making of this what, movie. Here's what happened. All right. Because I, I know this in in detail. Here's what happened. George Lucas, he releases THX yeah. 1138, right? That movie bombs. Yeah. Coppola had just made American Zoetrope and he was pushing to make this the next big independent studio, right? First real big movie that comes out bombed yeah and he's like i'm 400 grand in the hole mm-hmm. on my brand new company yeah i got two kids one's coming i need to make money and paramount approached him and like hey we got a movie it's called the godfather it's basically a for hire project if you come on we'll pay you x amount of money it'll get you out of the hole and he's like fuck it i'm in and that's the crazy thing 
this wasn't a passion project. This was a for-hire job. It was, but once he got into it and he was like, okay, I'm going to make it this way. I'm going to make it very authentic. And Paramount was like, no, you got to do it cheaper. No, you know what? You're kind of, you know, giving us a hard time. Maybe we'll just replace you with somebody else. And it was him kind of fighting, you know, I need to take care of my family. I need to get this movie done. Uh, You know, it can't look on the cheap. It needs to look like a real movie. It needs to look like New York in the 40s. I mean, he also had to fight so hard for the cast because he had Mm -hmm. had to fight to the nail to get Brando in as as, uh, Don Vito and also to get Al Pacino in. Yeah, because Al Pacino at the time wasn't that big of an actor so the studio's I, I like think he, i think this was his first like real role i think because i think before this he was a theater guy yeah and i think after this is when he got like into serpico and it's dog day the, afternoon yeah so it was a real struggle and i mean i know one of the people that they wanted for michael in this movie was jack nicholson so yeah. it's like the, they were trying to you know pull in these big name actors and I, they also wanted um robert de niro yeah, Robert want- De Niro was approached way before Al Pacino. Yeah, that was a, a big thing that he wanted De Niro in this movie, and it's just, they couldn't make it work, but he does make it into Godfather Part 2. Yes, And yes. it's an amazing portrayal in Godfather Part 2. Oh, but, yeah. But it was just interesting to hear him talk about it and how it was a struggle just to get the the cars that go with the period and... How they were like, okay, you're, you're going to cut corners by putting wigs on people so we don't have to worry about hairstylists. But I mean, when you see the movie... It's seamless. It's seamless. It's flawless. It looks like you're transported back to the 40s. And the other thing is we see it progress. Because I think the whole movie takes place over the course of like 10 years. Yeah. And you see, and it's so subtle, how time changes and how we move from like one year to the next. And it's a thing where you you don't even... You don't even, like, realize once you're at the end of the movie, it's 1955. Yeah. And, like, we've seen ten years of these people's lives pass by. We see this family lose its patriarch. We've seen the rise of a new, like, head of the family. And we've seen, like, the shift of how crime works in America. Lots of bloodshed. All the bloodshed. And it's it's such a good, well-written film. It's so well-directed. I mean, Grant, like... I, we're not breaking new ground here. We're, like, praising The Godfather, right? No. Yeah. No, no. I, I haven't heard anyone say that they don't like this movie. This is one of those movies, like, objectively, you have to say, it's a, it's a great film. It is. Even if you don't like it, you have to say it's a great film. It is. And, I mean, for being a film where your biggest star is only in the movie for about an hour, and you have a smaller supporting cast that really pulls their weight... I mean, yeah, because you're talking about Brando, right? Yeah, Brando's only in the movie for about an hour. Well, here's the thing. And this is almost a three-hour movie. Here's the thing about Brando. Because, yeah, he's only in the movie for an hour. He's the supporting actor to Al Pacino's Michael. I know he, I think he got nominated for Best, like, Leading Actor or something like that. He was nominated and won. That's the year that... He he refused it with the, with, um, over indigenous rights. And I believe Mm -hmm. that was, that was a whole thing. But I remember that he's only in the movie for an hour, but he's playing like the supporting actor role. But he, it feels like he's he's the he's the lead because he, he's, he's the so Don. engaging. Yeah, he's the the patriarch of the family. Mm-hmm. So it's like we see this shift of the old Don kind of like yeah, I'm, he I'm, fades out as Michael it, comes in as Michael rises, and it's interesting to kind of see the change between Michael, who is you know this war hero, to becoming head of the family 
and and the regret that Don Vito has because he, he never want, wanted that for Michael. He wanted Michael to be the legitimate one. Mm-hmm. He wanted Senator Michael Corleone, Governor Michael Corleone. Mm-hmm. He didn't want Don Michael Corleone. Yeah. And also, we got to talk about the Brando, right? Yeah. Because this cements him as acting God. Oh, yeah. Because he already had Streetcar Named Desire on the waterfront, which cemented him as, like, great mm-hmm. actor. And then, you know, the wild one. My favorite, yeah. Yeah, and that cements him as... Okay, cultural icon, right? You know, he's of that 50s counterculture rebel thing. In the same class as, like, James Dean. Yeah, or and even, then... Um, Steve McQueen. And then in this movie, he's playing the old Don, but in reality, he's only 40 years old in this movie, or in his 40s. He's, uh, 46, I think. And, you know, hearing it from Talia Shire, she's like, you know, he walked in and he looked like he was fresh off the waterfront. He was just that striking and just the ability of, you know being basically a chameleon and changing into the character of Don Corleone. Mm. And it was just like, wow, you know, you're not Brando anymore. You're the Don. The, okay, this was something that came up in a, in another conversation I had um off podcast. There's some actors that just take makeup so well. It, um, it's like Colin Farrell in the Batman, the, the new movie, where, I mean... He disappears. He disappears. I mean, the entire movie, I sat there and I'm just like, I'm going to see a snippet of him. And it's just like, no. He's gone. This is a completely different person. And and um, I, I watched Shawshank Redemption the other day. Yeah. And Tim Robbins, he's under like old age makeup yeah. as the film progresses, but it's so subtle. You don't even, you don't really notice. But when you look at him, you're like, oh yeah, no, he looks like he's in his, yeah, he's in his mid to late fifties. Yeah. He's, he's gotten older, yeah. but it's a thing where it looks so natural. And I'm like, yeah, that's skill from the makeup artist, but some people's faces just take makeup so well mm-hmm. that you can do a lot of work with even subtle stuff because- Brando, yeah, he doesn't look like a 70-year-old, you know, old Italian, but he he really took that makeup really well because there's not a lot of makeup work really done to him. Like, there's not actually a lot of prosthetic. No, and it was actually when he went to go uh, audition for this role, he had seen something on TV and he decided, you know, what, I want to kind of go in looking like a bulldog. So mm-hmm. he put uh, cotton swabs in his cheek to do his audition and they were like, you know, that's... That's actually genius. And they were able to make him a prosthetic that he was able to put, put into in his, his mouth. mouth to kind of change him. And there's those pictures out there where they show him pre-makeup and with the makeup and the prosthetic. And it's just night and day how oh. different he looks. And, th- and that's the thing. Because it's, what, t- one, two prosthetics? I think he has a false nose and, like, the, the mouth thing. Piece, yeah, right? and I think it was maybe, like, a four or five hour restoration to put all the makeup on his face. And it's and it's such a good performance because oh. he can because he acts right through it. Yeah. And that's the thing with Marlon Brando because I think he's gotten the the um pedigree as not only the acting god but also somebody who has utter contempt for his work. Yeah. Like he comes off as a guy who was an amazing actor but hated his job. Yeah. I mean, what is the Oscar clip where he's over Sonny? He's like Look how they massacred my boy. Look at him. And then he's holding a like a ham sandwich just out of frame. Because he refused to like put it down. Or or in the beginning of the movie where the Don is sitting there and he's playing with a cat in his lap and people I mean, are like, that's just genius. Well, and that's the thing. People analyze and they're like, Oh my god, it, it makes so much sense. He's sitting there and he's toying with it. Like this is the thing. He's power and this cat is everyone around him. He's playing with them. And in reality, no, Brando just found this cat on set and refused to put it down. And it works for that scene. It's, you know, you're talking about a murder for hire, basically, in that scene. And he's just, you know, 
being very gentle with the cat and you're thinking, you know, he's going to be, okay, I'll do it. And it, you know, it turns into, well, you know, I'm the godfather of your child and never once have you asked me to go get coffee. You've never tried and, to be my friend. And it, and escalates into like a really tense back and forth with mm-hmm. the, with the undertaker. And it's a very like off-putting thing because you see him and he's playing with this like little animal, right? It's the mm-hmm. cat and mouse game. Yeah. And he's playing with the cat. So he's something above that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a very striking image in the scene, and it's one of those things where is it a a perfect acting choice or is it Brando just not giving a shit? And that's the genius of it because mm-hmm. you can never tell. Only he knows. And, yeah, and that's why it's so he's so good in this movie because you never tell when he's not caring and when he's giving you the greatest performance you've ever seen. Yeah, it's because it, it's so natural. It's so good. And then you know you have Al Pacino, you have. Uh, James Caan, you have um, John Cazale, you have uh, Robert Duvall, you ha- you have literally a murderer's row yeah. of some of the greatest actors to have ever done. Diane it. Keaton's in this movie. That's right, Diane Keaton's in this movie. Um, you, uh, Abe Vigoda's in this movie. I, I, you know what? Abe Vigoda is one of those actors that has morphed into, oh, he's the old Italian guy in all the mm-hmm. 90s comedies, right? Mm-hmm. He's that guy. He's in Good Burger, right? That's him. He's in Look Who's Talking. He's in Look Who's Talking. He He's one of those actors I will always forget is in um, The Godfather. Godfather, yeah. And that's and that's the other thing. Like the, This movie is so good because he's in this movie and he's like, you know, like fifth bill. There's so many good people in this movie. Who is the best performance here that's not Brando? I, th- I think it would have to be Al Pacino. It has to be Al Pacino. Because we see that switch and we just kind of see, you know... I will do this for my father. The father that's like, I don't want you to do this, but my other two sons are not capable of doing this job. It's Shakespearean. Yeah. Because each... I, that came up during like that Q&A session, so I'll, I'll just paraphrase Coppola. It's a Shakespearean tale. Yeah. It's the king who looks down on his three sons, and each one is like him in a different way. Sonny is his like rage and, mm-hmm. and strength. Fredo, Fredo, Fredo is... Fredo. 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 Freddy. He's his, like, kindness and his sympathy, and Michael is his smarts and his cunning. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see throughout the movie. Fredo, he's like, live and let live. You know, he'll get slapped around as long as, you know, everything's okay. Everything's everything's fine. He forgives. And he's also kind of a weakling. He he doesn't really have a spine. I mean, Dad got shot on my watch and... He breaks down in tears. I mean, which didn't even get a single shot off. It's just, he was sitting there fumbling with the gun. Okay. And doesn't call 911, it's just, let me just stand there it's and watch him. It's 1946, there ain't no cell phones. No, Calling there's 911. a payphone. You run to a payphone. Calling 911 is, is, like, is like yelling to the skies, alright? At least do that. I guess. Oh, okay, but I want to point this out, because um, John Cazale yeah. is so good. He is. He, you know, he was only in maybe like five-ish like big films before he, he passed away. He died yeah. of, uh, I believe, stomach cancer. Yeah. And... He was in Godfather, Godfather Part Two, Deer Hunter, all nominated, mm-hmm. and I believe won Best Picture. He was also in Dog Day Afternoon, which I believe was nominated for Best Picture. He's in, he's one of these actors that is really, really good for not having a lot because, you know, Fredo breaks down tears, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know you're like, oh, come on, Fredo, you, ya, 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 mook. But it it kind of breaks your heart because that's his character. Yeah. He's so sweet. He's not a killer. He's not Sonny. He's Fredo, you know, he just, he's not cut out for this. And Sonny's a rage machine. Yeah, and it was interesting to see 
during the Q&A, Talia Shire was like, you know what, uh, John Cazale, she goes, he was so sweet as a person. Just, you know, on screen and off screen, that was his personality, just this sweet guy. Yeah. And it's like, you could see it in his character, but also, you know, you see... You're not Don Material. You don't have that kind of... You, you don't have killer... the spine for war. Not even the spine. You just you don't have that killer instinct. And it's kind of like... And yeah, that's the downfall of Sonny. That's the downfall of Sonny. Because and... he's only killer instinct. Yes. And his sister Connie, everyone is telling him, cool it, you know, just give it a couple of minutes and he's just... Nope, like like a bullet. You know, I'm going to take off and I don't care where I land. He, which ultimately ends to... up in his demise. And he's ready to go to war for any slight and and then you have michael who starts off as you know oh he's he's the the chosen one Mm -hmm. he's the one that's been chosen to like leave the family and become something great but he has to come back and it slowly realizes that he's really good at this yeah i noticed i think it was when he goes to the hospital and he comes in and it's when all the guards and like leave the hospital and he has to a nurse to help him move nurse, his dad. Yeah, to move his dad. And then he has to get the baker and they sit outside and they're like, we're going to look like we're thugs and we're going to wait him out. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I think that's when Michael realizes, oh no, he's definitely cut out for this. Yeah. Like, he can do this. He could do this. And I mean, creativity wise with, you know, okay, we're going to take down the police chief and this other uh, main by, we're going to go to dinner. And I'm one not one of the g- best scenes in the movie. And yeah, of course. And it's like, and I'm not going to have a weapon on me, but there's going to be a weapon in the restaurant, he's and I'm just going to really, take them out. He's really good. He's very methodical. Just, yeah, and that's the thing. He's really, he's really good. He's really methodical. He's cunning. He is everything that the Don Vito wants from him. But the thing is, he's not. He's not kind. No. He's also not, not you know, like he's not ready to fight. He doesn't have that aggression. Mm-hmm. And that's also kind of his flaw, because he's willing to kill Carlo, like, out the gate. Yeah. Right? Because he betrayed Sonny. Yeah. He's also like, wow, you did this to um, Apollonia, but I'm I'm not going to murder you, because it's like, no, 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 that gets in the way of business. Mm-hmm. Everything he does is a calculated move, yeah. but it removes his humanity. And that's the whole thing about the end of the movie. Where uh, Diane Keaton's K asks him, you know, just just tell me one time. Just tell me the truth once. Did you kill Carlo? And you're expecting him because at first, you know, he blows up, you know, don't be asking me about my business. And then you're thinking, okay, he's going to tell her the truth. Yeah, you know, I did it. The Michael at the beginning of the movie would have told her. Exactly. And, you know, you have, no, of course I didn't. And just, then you get... One of my favorite scenes, one of everybody's favorite scenes. The door. The door just slowly closing and her, you know, feeling like, oh man, this is not the Michael that I knew. This is now our relationship where I live on the outside of that door. She is no longer married to Michael Corleone. She's married to Don Don Corleone. And also, that, that door closing cut, I... I I personally have tried to steal that in like short films for years, and I've seen that shot stolen all the time. And this is the most effective mm-hmm. use of that of that shot. And it this movie's so good. Yeah, because I mean, not only f- that is that scene iconic with the door, but just to see how far he's come. Because at the beginning of the movie, we see them at Connie's wedding for the first time, mm-hmm. and he's so willing to tell her, you know. 
well, this person over here, yeah, you know, he's killed for my father. Uh, this one's done this, this, and that. And it's just, he's so open with this information with somebody that could basically run to the FBI or the cops and be like, hey, this one did that. I could, you know, be a witness to, well, I'm not going to tell you yeah. nothing. You know, you take care of the kids. You let me know if we need something. But other than that, that's it. That's it. Uh, but The Godfather, because that that's what this movie means to us. Like all these scenes, and all these sequences, mm -hmm. like this movie is so good. But this movie also has, like, an impact beyond, yeah. like, beyond us. Like, this movie is not just loved, it is beloved. It is not only remembered, it is studied. Yeah. Because, okay, at the time, this movie costs somewhere between, like, six, seven million dollars. Makes two fifty to three hundred million dollars in 19, what, 73? Se no, wait, 72. 72. It comes yeah, also, fucking, fucking A, this comes out in 1972, yeah. Jesus Christ. So, this movie is a huge box office hit. Gets nominated for, uh, I don't know, a couple dozen Oscars. It wins Best Picture, wins Best Actor for Marlon Brando, and also wins Best Screenplay. This movie is critically lauded. And its impact from that point on, it is it is on, it is number two on the AFI Top 100 Films of All Time. Mm -hmm. It is, I, I think, number five, six on the BFI, the Sight and Sound, Top 100 Films of All Time. It isn't the top 10 of Empire's greatest films of all time. This movie has continually, for 50 years, been remembered and been critically acclaimed and analyzed. And it has been touted as the greatest film ever made. Or if not, at least top 10, top yeah. 5. So wh why do you think this movie has sustained its cultural impact for so long? Because we've had great movies we've talked about yeah. that don't sustain this long. You know, is this just a thing where it, its light has never faded? Yeah, Is it a thing but, where it's, you can't, you can't put down quality? You can't put down quality, it's never faded, but it's also so real. And what it's telling in the story isn't going to change because it's family, it's greed, it's lust. It's all the things that, even though it's set in the 40s, it's stuff that we deal with today. And that's why it's like, even though it's a period piece, it's things that we still deal with on a daily basis. As a family, you know, you deal with parents aging, you deal with your siblings not doing great things, you deal with friends betraying you, you deal with corrupt people. So I think that's why it's still so prominent, because we're still living it. Yeah, and it's a thing where universal theme, because that's what's really at the heart of this movie. Mm -hmm. it, it has universal themes, you know, family power and, you know, like the corruption, you know, uh, ha how does the how does the saying go? Um, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of what's going on here. You know, Michael starts off as a quote unquote an innocent, but once he gets the absolute power of the mafia, Don, Don like Don Corleone, mm. he becomes corrupted by it. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a such a well done story. And the other thing is, you know, you can't put down quality. No, and the movie there's not a miss miss beat in this there, which is weird because. I noticed when we were watching it, there's some shots that are, eh, okay, they're a little soft-focused, eh, but they come back around. Or, okay, the the blocking here, okay, he moves a little bit too far to one side, and it kind of throws off the balance, but it's a thing where you don't care, because no. everything is so engaging. The I think this comes down to what I say about all, so many great movies. Story and performance is mm -hmm. basically all you need, and everything else is window dressing. Yeah. As, as long as you don't burn it, it'll work out. Exactly.
And that this movie exemplifies that, but everything else is still really fucking good. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we we see basically not a whole life because it's only 10 years, but mm-hmm. we see so much of this family's life we, in 10 years. We see the most important parts of it. We see the most important parts. We see, you know, the end of a life, the beginning of a life, because even though uh michael is a grown man you know we knew michael before just slightly and then we see this whole other part to michael where basically old michael's dead new michael's in we see sunny die we see don vito die we see fredo basically be sent away from the family Mm -hmm. and turn into a whole different person that michael barely recognizes yeah we see connie she gets married her husband dies. She has a child in in the in the time at hand, and she goes through a, like a horrible things for any woman. You know, I she's mean, an abused wife, and how she's reconciling with it. We see so much. We see the entire organization their family is built upon completely shift out from under them. But I think it's so sad for. I mean, the entire thing is yes, like a Shakespearean tragedy, but. It's so sad to see Connie because Connie starts off the movie with her wedding and just to see how happy she is and how happy everybody is, even though the Don is still working the day of her wedding. Yeah. But just to kind of see, you know, the next time we get to see her, she's being abused and her husband just has, you know, zero fucks basically about the way he's treating her. And it's just like. He he married her so he could get a promotion at work. That's what I feel that marriage was for him. And I mean, even she knew that, you know, don't discuss the family business with him. Just keep him in the dark as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, if she had, like, mentioned it once, like, the first time he hit her, just, you know, you know who my family is? They're gonna beat the shit out of you. And it was just like... And Sonny absolutely did that. And, and Sonny, well deserved. Oh, Absolutely. And that's the thing. You can't keep a great movie down, and this movie is great. Uh, but where where do you want to go on from this one? I don't know. There's just so much to talk about with this movie. But I think we should probably talk more about Al Pacino, since he, this was... Basically his breakout. This was his breakout, and the fact that, you know, Francis Ford Coppola had to fight for him. And it, it's another thing, because Al Pacino... Because I've heard people argue, you know, oh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, who's who's the greater, mm-hmm. you know, actor, right? Because they're the, you know, the, the Godfather guys that yeah. are, yeah. And it's like, Al Pacino had probably, like, the best run in his prime, right? Because, you know, Godfather, Dark Day Afternoon, Serpico, Godfather Part 2. Um, Scarface. Yeah, Scarface, in, even in the 80s. Granted, that, we we got into that one. That one's a little uh, sus. We, we but did, it, but it, it, it's iconic. It's, it's an iconic role. It, yeah, his, like, last true iconic role. But he had a run there where he was actually probably the best actor in America. Yeah. And then you have Robert De Niro who, you know, his he has iconic performances up from, like, from the 70s all the way into, like... Today. To, yeah, today. Like, even into, like, the late 90s, I would say, we still have iconic um, De Niro performances. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, you know, Michael Corleone is, like, the great... The great role. It's the great Shakespearean, Machiavellian role. Yeah. And it's just kind of scary to see how he changes and how methodical he is because we see, you know, the setup at the restaurant. And that's only leading up to 
the the finale of this movie with uh, the baptism when he becomes the Godfather himself. Okay, now that I I know I've said oh greatest scene in the movie like five times. That is not only the greatest scene in the movie; it might be one of the greatest scenes in cinema. Oh, history. absolutely! It, it it parallels the baptism of of the baby under Christ, and it and then it's also the baptism the, of himself as the Godfather. You know, he he's been baptized in this life of crime, and it settles all the debts, and you see. People who've shown up throughout the movie that have slighted Michael in one way or the other, and it's him settling or his father, his, or his father, and it's him settling it. But it's not personal; it's strictly business, and, and that makes it, it so much colder. And pairing it with the priest doing the service and asking him, you know, do you um, object the devil? Do you object evil? And you know, I do, I do, and it's just, you know, you have the guns going off at the same time, people being killed, and it's just like. Oh, it's like it's such a well edited sequence. It's like I don't want to be on your bad side because you don't even have to be there, and you took out a fleet of your enemies. And and that's the thing. That's the thing about Michael that becomes so terrifying because, with again back to the thing where you know the three sons that all have a part of their father. Because mm-hmm. Sonny and Fredo, you know how they're gonna swing because Fredo is all sympathetic emotions, Sonny's all aggressive emotions. Where Michael, it's all cold. Yeah, like there's no emotion involved. But he's, there's lots of thought. There's a lot of thought. And he's like, if this is the logical decision, then I would do it. And that's so much scarier than it's like, okay, as long as I don't piss him off, mm-hmm. then I'm fine. Or if I get in his good side, I'll be fine. Michael's like, the moment you are not logistically okay, then it's done. So that's like always like off-putting. It's it's one of those things where at the end of the movie, when Michael looks through the through the door at K as it's closing, mm-hmm. that's that's where the chills come in. Yeah. Such a good performance. And just leads up to what's happening next in Godfather Part 2. Oh, I, I can't wait to watch Godfather Part 2. Me too. I mean, after that, I was like, I gotta rewatch Godfather Part 2 again. Because this movie is just amazing. And then you get Godfather Part 2, and it's like, this is amazing too. It always gets better. Ugh. It's not like, you know, a lot of, you know, movies where you get a Part 2 and it's just like, uh, kind of falls flat. It's like, no, this one, it's like... <laughs> can, 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 I just, can I just ruin our relationship real quick? Because... I find that happens with Star Wars. Cause oh, em- that, that's our big fight. That yeah, you prefer I'm- A New Hope and I prefer Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, and I know, I know, I'm in the minority because I'm just like, Empire, it's fine. It's it's cool. It's like, it's whatever. It has the one big plot plot twist and that's like, that's like it for me. Yeah, New Hope, I-, I feel, is just a more well-composed story in like singular film. Yeah, but with Empire, you get the story and the universe expanded and that's what we kind of get in godfather part two where the universe expands a little bit more we get details of the past because this movie we just see don corleone in like the last few years of his life yeah we get, we to, get see to see his rise his rise and how he becomes the don yeah and this is basically the story that we have in this movie with michael rising and becoming the don now mm-hmm. i'm just so fascinated with this movie Oh yeah, because I mean it's 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 a movie that should not should not have been this good. Coppola did it for the money. He's pretty open about it. Right? Yeah, and it's refreshing to hear, you know, I needed to take care of my family, so I was willing to make whatever movie I had to make and it's just like you made a masterpiece. It's yeah. just like and, but that's the thing. Coppola did this for the money. The studio was not really behind him at all. No. 
they wanted to do this movie as cheap as possible. They wanted to set it in the 70s. They didn't want it a period piece. They didn't want any of that shit. They, they wanted, wanted to shoot it in a Chicago because it's cheaper. Because it's cheaper. They wanted as little little pushback as possible. And Coppola was like, okay, I'll do it, but I'll do it as as well as I can within my means. And he he brings on Brando, who at that point was box office like poison. Yeah. Like no one wanted to work with him. He was so difficult to work with. Great actor. But no one, no one thought he would he would become a movie star again. And then it's like you bring in Al Pacino, untested theater actor that no one had heard of, and then you build the entire movie, and it's it's an amazing film. It's a fantastic film, and and with that, I would I would say Godfather highly recommend it. Definitely deserves its place in cinema. Its impact is definitely still felt. Absolutely. I mean, if you haven't seen it. Run to it, go watch it. <laughs> Sorry we spoiled so much of it if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's also a 50-year-old movie, so if, you know, if you haven't seen spoilers up till now, where have you been hiding? Because there is so many spoilers wherever I, I know. you go. I can't wait for us to um, talk about Nosferatu, where we spoil it, and I'm like, that movie's 100 years old. How it, how are there still spoilers for this? It is, it is. But, um, yeah, just... Love this movie. I, I I think the Academy Museum for giving us the opportunity to see it restored, but also to have the Q&A with Francis Ford Coppola and Talia Shire. Um, I think that made our 50th just that much more special. Oh, yeah. That was a fantastic experience. And uh, looking out for that, as looking out for more of those if they come up. Yeah, definitely. But boo. Next week. Next, we start a new month. We do. We start a new month. Um, so we're saying goodbye to Mom March. I mean, the best way that we absolutely can with the Godfather. <laughs> exactly. But next month, we are going to be doing a tribute. A tribute to a hero. We're going to be doing a tribute to the Batman. Yes, yes. Because uh, the new Batman film has come out. The Batman starring Robert Pattinson. And it has actually gotten a lot of critical hype. And people are really showing up to the theaters for it. And we started thinking, huh, is he actually the best Batman? Because I've heard people say he's, you know, oh, he's the most realistic or the best Batman portrayal we've gotten in years. But I feel like we I get, know. I feel like we get this conversation every time there's a new Batman. Yeah. And where I mean, does this stack up? Exactly. You know? And I think this has probably been the biggest conversation since Bale came out as Batman, so... I, I would even say, like, even Ben Affleck had the huge, like, is he gonna be a good Batman? Is he a good Bruce Wayne? Oh, and, yeah. And how... Is he gonna hold up? Even when, um, I think it was Will Arnett did the Lego Batman, they're like, how good is he? Is he actually the best Batman? He, Can I we mean, know? Amongst, like, voters, he's one of the highest ones as Batman. Which is crazy. It is, but next month, we're gonna be talking about all the first Batman movies. We're gonna be doing it in reverse, so yeah, we will we're, be starting we're traveling with, back in time. We're traveling back in time, so we're starting with The Batman 2022, Matt Reeves, and working our way all the way down to Adam West. Yes, so stay tuned for that, because it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun, because I'm not going to lie, um, I have not seen a single one of these in... I have no idea. Actually, the Adam West one I've never seen. Batman, you haven't? Never seen it. Wow. 89. I, last time I saw that, I was nine years old. And uh, Batman Begins, like, I don't I don't even know yeah, the last I, time I, I saw that. I think I've only seen that one once. Um, 
it's going to be fun because we're not just going to be watching the movies. We're also going to, at our very, very end of the... Uh, the series, we're going to the rank series. them. Yeah, we're going to rank uh, Best Batman, Best Batmobile, Best Batcave. We're going to turn it into a game. So be prepared for that. You know, come up with your own answers to what you think is best because it all it doesn't have to be all one movie. It could be different people from different movies, different things. And I think that's what's so special about these franchises, we get these characters, you know, back again, and it's kind of like, well, this one brings, you know, something special. This one does this a little bit differently. So it's going to be a good month. And if you wanted to listen to that, where can they go? Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That's right, The Film Vault. Formerly known as In the Frame, but we are now The Film Vault. See, I've said it three times, so you got to go there. Yeah, you'd have to. So go, comment, subscribe, ask us literally anything, and um, other than that? Yeah, I mean, you could also find us on Instagram at The Film Club Podcast, where you can see pictures of our Q&A with Francis Ford Coppola or any of our other adventures. And with that, we'll see you next week at The Film Club. Have a good week, everybody.